Hello, and welcome to Saving People, Queering Things, a Supernatural podcast. We were previously known as Driver Picks the Podcast, and the episode you're about to listen to was recorded under that name. Though our name has changed as of season three, our show hasn't changed that much. Our structure and theme-based discussions are the same, and we're so glad you're here. Now, let's get on the road. Hello, and welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, the show where we talk about ghosts, road trips, and free will through every episode of the TV series Supernatural. Today, we are exploring season two, episode seven, The Usual Suspects, through the theme of adversity. I am Abigail, your host, and joining me again today is Rennie. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, it's now time for our series recap, The Road So Far. After spending most of his adult life hunting for the demon who killed his wife, John Winchester is dead, having traded his life for Dean's, and the demon is still at large. Despite having no new leads, Sam and Dean, both avoiding their grief in different ways, are still on the road hunting. However, recent experiences suggest that monster hunting may not be as morally simple as John had taught them, after they have a blowout fight with another hunter and ultimately decide to let a group of non-murderous vampires go free. Additionally, the Winchesters are learning that John may have been less heroic than expected, with new information from Ellen Harvell coming to light that revealed John's willingness to put other hunters at risk. This new information has drawn a rift between the Winchesters and the Harvells, with unclear consequences for their connections to the hunting world and the support it could offer in hunting the demon. For now, though, most things that are not human are monsters that need to be ganked, and the Winchesters are continuing to hunt them. And that brings us to this episode and to our 30-second recap. Okay. Yeah, let me know when you're ready. Go for it. Okay. (laughs) Three, two, one, go. So Dean and Sam are arrested, and the episode plot is shown through a series of flashbacks as they're being interrogated. They're investigating what looks like a vengeful spirit. Sam and Dean's stories match perfectly to the cops, even though they didn't have a chance to prep, and they're still working on solving it through jail. Dean helps Sam escape to continue the investigation by telling the cops the truth, which of course they don't believe. The ghost comes after one of the detectives, so she goes to the boys for help. Turns out the ghost wasn't killing anyone. She was trying to warn them because the other detective was dirty. Diana kills him and helps the boys escape. Nice. Nice. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the events of Skin are now starting to catch up to Sam and Dean with, um, now that they've been charged with another murder because of being found at a crime scene, and they have also found out that the corpse in um, Skin was not actually Dean, but it turns out in this situation, it's not actually a monster that they're hunting, it's a person who has been killing people, and a spirit who has been warning other people about this killer. Um, Sam and Dean prove that they can communicate really, really well from jail, and the prison has bad security. That's that's it. <laughs> that's all we got. Oh, that was a great ending. <laughs> I was just like, you know, this is so true. It, like, how it's so easy for Sam to escape. Like, so easy. Like, yes, I know he wasn't like officially arrested, um, but he was in like holding, um, presumably, and and like, yes, it makes sense that they wouldn't have necessarily handcuffed him to the chair like they did Dean because he's not on suspicion of murder. But like, it shouldn't be that easy to like get out a window like I feel like if you're if you have a window in an interrogation room you have bars on that window yeah I don't it's very convenient for the plot that they were that Sam was able to get out sure is sure is yeah (laughs) 
So it's now time for us to discuss this episode through our chosen theme. And this week, our theme is adversity. And so the definition of adversity is difficulty or misfortune, um, according to the dictionary, um, or um, sometimes some synonyms are bad luck, trouble, hardship, distress. So that's kind of the definite working definition where we're going from for this theme. Um, you had a, made a note um, before we started recording. Maybe we'll start with, maybe we'll start there. Sure. Um, it's kind of starting at the opposite, but I noticed, well, I guess the adverse, the main adversity that the boys face in this episode, obviously, is being arrested. Like they're all the credit card fraud and grave desecration and being around <laughs> murder scenes that they're always doing is finally caught up to them. And it's kind of, I like this episode because I think it's interesting to look at that, to look at their life from this perspective of like from a mm-hmm. police perspective. Of like, yeah, they're so shady. They're so shady. Yeah. And it's finally like realistic where you're like, no, you start tracking these guys across multiple states and see all the weird shit they've done. You're like, no, they look really bad (laughs) yeah exactly um and you know to most of us who don't believe in the supernatural you know what they're doing is insane and um and so it makes sense that law enforcement is after them anyway so but it did strike me that due to their privilege um being white being cis being male being you know young and attractive Young and attractive, yeah, true. And charming, um, like able to communicate well. Yeah, Sam totally. is intelligent, college educated. The boys have adversity in their life, but they also have a distinct lack of it in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, and it's kind of obvious in this episode because the cop very easily believes them. They have some privilege that kind of contradicts, kind yeah. of like conflicts with the adversity yeah I was saying I was I wrote in my notes like I wonder if she would have believed them if they weren't white cis males (laughs) yeah yeah I mean (laughs) the likelihood is no and like obviously she saw the ghost so like it wasn't that hard for her to believe it at that point but um I don't know. She like is very kind to them. After that. <laughs> well, yeah. And they have a lot of experience of law enforcement being very quick to believe. Mm-hmm. And they have even a small shred of proof. They're immediately like, okay, now we're yeah. on your side. We trust you hundred percent. Exactly. Like just cause they're right about the supernatural doesn't necessarily mean they're trustworthy. It just, yeah. It just means that like, yes, the supernatural exists. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They have, incredible privilege and so don't face the adversity that I think other people in the same position would um in you know how easily Diana the detective believes them um and like joins their side so to speak um you know like does all the work and risks her job to let them go and everything like she puts herself out on out on a limb for them and um, she doesn't know them that well. And, like, there's not really a reason for her to do that other than she knows they're telling the truth about the ghost, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, they still have all of this. They still have all of this other stuff on their record that is very shady, mm-hmm. even if they're right. Like, she doesn't ask a lot of follow-up questions. And I know they're in the middle of, like, a dangerous situation. She doesn't have time to ask a lot of follow-up questions. But it is, it does seem like very much a function of their privilege that there's not more adversity in getting people to believe them. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you said that much more concisely than I did. No, but I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that that up because I think that was the interesting thing looking for this theme because there there is a number of disfortune like difficulty or misfortunes that they face in this episode, but less than they probably would have if they were different people. Yeah. Um, though it is becoming more difficult for them to do their job, which is hunting, because they're becoming more wanted and known criminals. So it's getting which is a natural progression of the last season. Like it's interesting totally. because at the end of Skin, obviously the shapeshifter wearing Dean's face is killed. Um, so they declare Dean dead. They go, oh yes, he was the murderer, but he's now dead. Case closed. Um, and this is quite a bit later. Like that was season one, episode six. This is season two, episode seven. It's been yeah, it's I, about I, a year. Yeah, I think in story time, it's been about a year. Um, it's taking quite a long time for their stuff to catch up with them, which kind of makes sense in some ways because of all the fake IDs they use whenever they go anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. We're led to believe they cover their tracks pretty well, even though that's a little debatable in terms of what we actually see them do in a lot of episodes. Like I can only think of a handful of episodes where they really, where we see them cover their tracks. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm thinking of in like... <clears throat> um, nightmare in season one where they wipe down their fingerprints but they don't do things like that a whole lot yeah so it actually is they have a surprising lack of adversity considering they sure do yeah there's a lot of um convenience for storytelling i think yeah. <laughs> yes yeah that helps the boys out which is i mean it to some extent is just a tv thing like they it would be a lot less interesting to watch them constantly deal with the same issue which would be like totally. them just being chased like it would become them of uh, them being chased by cop show very quickly if it mm -hmm. was more realistic and that's not what this show is about show depends on them it being able to be, to be under the radar it has to be the way it is <laughs> yeah yeah um one thing i was noticing about because like i mean adversity is fairly straightforward it's just like things being hard Mm -hmm. But what's maybe more interesting is like what characters do in the face of adversity. And I was mm -hmm. noticing um, Sam's strategy, particularly in all of the interrogation scenes, like his strategy is actually to use his knowledge, um, his intelligence. Mm -hmm. So he uses his knowledge of the law from going to Stanford. He uses his like storytelling abilities to present this like compelling narrative. And he also mm -hmm. uses his like ability to look and present calm because he doesn't mm -hmm. get worked up at all. He's like very calm. He acts like he's unfazed. He he is just like, acts, acts like he knows the end result of this and that the end result is that they walk free. Yeah. And that like strategy in the face of this hardship, even though he's got to know it's like not looking good. And the detective is even telling him, she's like, it does not look good for your brother. Your brother is going like, there's no way he's getting out of this. Mm -hmm. We have everything we need. Um, but Sam like plays it off. And that strategy um, is really interesting. Um, yeah, totally. And then Dean uses wit and humor um, to kind of, I guess, distract himself and the people around him about from what's happening. Yeah, you know, he's kind of not even, it's like almost like he's not going to deal with that hardship until he's they've dealt with the case because... Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not as important, which is interesting. But even when he's in the back of the van 
and um what's his name peter pete i think it's pete um is like about to kill him and dean puts that together he's still making jokes that's true that's true he's still like kind of i don't know sending quips at the guy (laughs) and like um bugging him and you know saying like you have to pee already you should get your prostate checked like stuff like that <laughs> yeah he's trying to and I like wonder if that's like again his his strategy is like he's trying to throw yeah. the guy off his game he's trying to like buy himself I time too. I mean we see him do this in a lot of episodes where someone's coming after him and he's like yeah. quipping at them to give himself the opportunity to get the one up on them or like throw them off or or things like that it's interesting just these two different strategies because oh, yeah. Because Sam's mm-hmm. is often this, like, I'm going to use my, the fact that I'm really intelligent. Mm-hmm. And Dean's like, I'm going to use the fact that I'm really charismatic. Yeah. And that combination means they. I think Dean's is like, also a bit of self-soothing. Mm. Like, Say more about he, that. I don't know. I just, it seems like he needs to be joking because otherwise he'll break down, you know? Like he needs to keep it light. He needs to keep the atmosphere funny and playful and charismatic. Um, because if he doesn't, it's too dark and he doesn't want to go there. Ooh, and there's some, and there are times like even in this season where we've seen that he's unable to quip. Like even in in um the there's a scene with Joe um in one of the yeah. earlier episodes in this season yeah. where he is he starts out like kind of jokey flirty and then very quickly like says to her like I can't like he just he just can't because he's not able to he because he didn't I think that illustrates that point of like he's using that often as a strategy to deflect from feeling yeah he was facing something but he's still he's still worried about it like when the when the attorney comes in and says like I'm your lawyer um do you know how much trouble you're in? He he has that moment where he's like, I'm chained to a desk. Like, I understand. Please just humor me. Like, he's, he kind of like, I think at least in the way Jensen portrayed it, it seemed to me like a moment of like, he is scared about being arrested. Right. And he'd um, rather not talk about it because if he talks about it, it makes it real. Yeah. And he has to face the fact that if this doesn't go well, not only may they not solve the case, and people might yeah. keep dying, but he might legitimately get thrown in jail and never, never come out. Yeah. And I think like, we see, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't have anything else. Go ahead. I think we see him using hunting as an escape, as a repeated theme throughout the series. And I think like what you were saying, like he stays focused on the case, even while he's in the holding cell, chained to the table. <laughs> he's like, figuring out the anagram (laughs) yeah he's like if I focus on this maybe the rest isn't happening which is interesting when you think of adversity because it's almost like he's chasing one form of adversity to avoid a different form of adversity like we you know it's like we all have I think we all have like things that it's all very specific you know what feels what's hardship for me is not necessarily hardship for you and you know for most people being in jail framed for murder would be like maybe one of the worst situations of adversity you could be in, you know, being innocent Mm -hmm. and being presumed guilty. But for Dean, that's not as much of an adversity as like this monster is loose and I might not be able to solve this case and people might die. Yeah. And, and it's all, you know, so much of adversity is related to perspective and for Sam and Dean, 
the supernatural world carries a lot more weight than the world of mm-hmm. law enforcement. But he's also more comfortable focusing on the case than he is mm. focusing on the, like, the, the, the fear, like, the, the, I guess, danger that he perceives about the case is definitely higher than the danger he perceives about going to jail, but he's more comfortable with the case. Like, that's his, that's, that's his true. comfort zone. Like, that's his world. That's his, where he operates at his best. Um and he's kind of trapped in the in the police situation. He doesn't really have any options. And so all he can do is focus on what he's comfortable with, I think. Yeah. And try and handle that piece of adversity. Yeah. Because it's 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 actually within his grasp. So exactly. it's a lot easier to focus on. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Um another thing that I noticed um is just, and it's not again, not super connected to adversity, but um dean's trust in sam to get the job done so dean is like i'm gonna do what i can do which is i can try to solve this anagram i can like try and get information to sam but he trusts that despite the adversity they're in that sam can solve this that sam can figure out the code that sam can will remember the like the linguistic code that they have that Mm -hmm. he'll know what to do and that sam will be able to prioritize what needs to happen um mm-hmm. and I like I love I love the the way this episode cuts back and forth between scenes yeah. of the two of them and the way it, like yeah. I think it's really interesting the way this story unfolds in a combination of like flashbacks and cut scenes because they mm-hmm. spend only the last like five minutes in this episode actually on screen together which is rare for an episode yeah. but it worked but you still get the sense that they're communicating the whole time which is mm-hmm. I just like think it's really well done yeah I had the same note the way that I put it was the adversity of being arrested proved their closeness because they they had an almost like telepathic communication throughout the episode knowing exactly what the other one would do and say um in any situation because they've had the conversations to like plan for these things but also because they know each other so well they know each other like what they know what the other one's gonna do um and yeah I just thought that like you said it was so cool that they weren't they weren't in a scene together really but they but you still felt like it was them communicating and like doing working together to solve the case and get out of the situation they were in and everything yeah Yeah, they're definitely working the case together even from it from those two different situations and it also like maybe kind of helps explain some of their both of their calmness and the both of the fact that they're both able to just like put the legal situation kind of on the back burner and focus on the case is because they've had those pre-conversations because they've prepped for this because they're in so yeah. much in sync that they don't have they're able to just be like well we're we just got to follow the plan we got to follow what we know we got to communicate how we know how to and mm-hmm. we will we will be able to figure this out um it's also interesting to me if Sam knew how to get out of the building when he's being interrogated it's interesting that he waits and he doesn't do it until Dean tells him to until Dean like gets until Dean leaves the note for him yeah and goes and goes like you need to escape um yeah I mean obviously like running before then wouldn't have made a lot of sense because as soon as he does he's going to be 
they're going to be looking for him. But again, that communication system that they have is so interesting. We don't well, and that and that Sam doesn't go back for Dean right away. Like he's he works on the case. Like he's not worried about getting Dean out. Um, and Dean even says like when he's sending her to find Sam, he tells her, um, you know, go to the first motel in the phone book and this go to this name. That's what we do when we're separated. As if Sam was expecting Dean to join him there later. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like Sam, Sam goes and works the case. And, and we either, and probably either expects that Dean will, we, Dean will find a way out and show up or that once Sam has solved the case, he'll be able to then exonerate mm-hmm. Dean and either way. Um, yeah. It's also, I also just do find it really interesting. They, they give that information. He like, you know, they make that choice. Dean makes that choice to go, okay our best strategy here is for me to actually trust this officer with our code and, mm-hmm. and send her to Sam. And he even, I think Sam, uh, Dean even says, and Sam says, I know for sure, says, you know, if we're lying, if it doesn't, like, if you don't believe me, you can just go and arrest him. And yeah. Sam says too, he's like, if you don't like, if this doesn't check out, you can arrest me afterwards, but like first we need to solve this so that like more people don't die. Yeah. Um, and they're just like, they're both of their like, brav- it's almost bravado, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, I think, based on their confidence that this is a, well, this is an adversity they've faced before. They're like, they we know, know. Yeah. we know how to take care of spirits. Yeah. Um, and they know that it's real. And so they know that um, she's going to prioritize her own life over arresting them yeah and they just have they all they the only hurdle is they have to get her to believe if they if she believes then Mm -hmm. there's no way that she's not going to like their expertise is going to suddenly become like invaluable and I think they're banking on that Dean is and and I think they're banking on that I think in terms of like getting Dean out of jail um they're banking on the fact that she'll be gracious to them after they've taken care of the spirit which ends up being true um yeah um (laughs) a lot the line that I just found really funny was um I think it's Sam I didn't write it down but I think it's Sam who says we'll just improvise we're pretty good at that (laughs) and I just had to laugh because um it's it's interesting when we're because we've talked so much about how how like thought out their plans are and how like prepared they are. Obviously they have all these like verbal codes, these written codes, um, but there's also an element in hunting of just like, when we don't know what to do, we just sort of improvise and generally it works out for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else in terms of like adversity in or the episode in general that you had notes on? Um. I had just like, I thought it was interesting when she was talking, when Diana was interrogating Sam and she was like listing off his life, you know, she was like describing his life. It did strike me the adversity within their childhood. And I know Mm. we've talked that to death already in this show, but um, in this podcast, but um, it just, I think that 
talking about adversity and resilience, you kind of have to mention how much adversity the boys have faced in their childhood and growing up, and then the resilience that they've both developed um, in their own ways of like being people who, you know, at the end of the day are just trying to do the right thing and are, um, you know, broken and complicated, but also like, I would say good people. Yeah. Um, and somebody else with their circumstance you know that that's not necessarily going to happen to everyone with their their trauma of their childhood that's really true that's a really good point too like she walks through Sam's whole life and it becomes quite striking like the things that he's gone through um and I also found it interesting related to that how she positions it really interestingly because she positions it as as if Dean is a piece of adversity that Sam has had to deal with where like she goes you know look at all these things we found out all these things about your life you've been through a lot obviously she's like but you know your brother had, it, she paints Dean as the as like another obstacle that Sam has had yeah. to overcome to be a good person and goes yeah. like you seem like a good kid Dean's a bad guy um, and yeah. it's really interesting because they obviously like we know that so much of Sam's resilience comes from his relationship with Dean and so much of like what's been a protective factor against Sam going off the rails after Jess's death after John's death has been Dean and Mm -hmm. we know all of that but it's interesting like when someone looks at their life and doesn't have all that context um interprets it differently yeah yeah that's really that's a really interesting point thanks I also thought that um I feel like Claire is worth mentioning in this episode Mm -hmm. um she every time I've seen this episode I've always had like immense sympathy I guess Mm -hmm. for her yeah um and just like you know she you know she was a heroin dealer she was probably probably had a really shitty life like probably had you know, really terrible cards dealt, a lot of adversity that she had faced. And then, you know, this cop forced her to help him and then he eventually killed her. And yeah, because she was going to do the right thing and like tell on him. And I just think, and then, you know, people are, and then even in the afterlife, like she's trying to warn people and help them and she can't talk. And she, you know, it's just like a very tragic figure, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of um, trapped in this adversity. Like she, yeah. Or she doesn't have, like, yes, they're able to put her to rest, but so much of the episode she's just like screaming out for someone to pay attention to how how shitty everything has been for her yeah and so I always just like the adversity that she faces just always strikes me really hard whenever I watch this episode yeah I appreciate the way that they position her story like I don't appreciate in the sense that like we are dealing with again another episode that's centered around violence against women um that's really an unfortunate staple of the show um however at the same time that is a lot of like for a woman in Claire's particular situation that's like really tragically common in the real world and Mm -hmm. I appreciate that they don't demonize her for it they don't demonize her for the things she's been through yeah like they misunderstand at the beginning when they think she's the the vengeful spirit 
but ultimately it doesn't turn out to be her. She turns out to be this warning figure that's actually trying to protect people. And like, and like, even when she was going to turn the cop in, that was also a thing where she was going to be protecting people. Mm -hmm. Um, And she didn't survive it because of this terrible action by this, this cop. And I, I'm glad that she isn't villainized in the end. Yeah, me too. Um, I think that's, again, and and I think an important thing for the show too, because this show does a lot of that and we'll do more and more of that, of like positioning, um, being like this person that the world thinks is kind of the bad guy or the world thinks he's kind of like making bad choices is actually actually that's not the real story um and that like it's your choices more than your circumstances that determine the kind of person that you are because you know yeah like you said like Claire has probably had some really really hard circumstances dealt to her and still tried to make this this the best choice that she could Mm -hmm. and this cop had all of these probably good circumstances I mean he's a white privileged cop with access to a lot of things and he made choices that were selfish and violent yeah um, right up until right up until his death um Mm -hmm. it's you know it's that concept that we're going to come back to in the show all the time of free will of like you have a choice of what you do with your circumstances um and if they, and if you let, if you let them and turn you into a monster or not, like regardless of yeah. what the world tells you, you are, yeah. you're, you're a monster because of the choices you make. And season two is going to be like, that's going to be like a huge theme this whole season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had not noticed it in here. I'm really glad you pointed out Claire, because I think I hadn't noticed that theme in this episode. And I hadn't seen some of the connections to the bigger themes of this, ep- of this season in this episode. And I, I appreciate that we're seeing them yeah me too well done you (laughs) yeah good job team so I think that will bring us to the end of our kind of theme discussion um we'll maybe do this closer to the end um so next we're going to move into our going meta segment where we're tracking lore the Bechdel test pop culture and all that fun stuff so first off our death counter for this episode we have three victims in the episode um plus Claire which is pre-episode uh she's a pre-episode victim um I think that's I think that's all of the victims in this episode um mm-hmm. uh, I know well all the deaths in this episode two of them yeah. are victims and one of them is the is the monster of this episode the cop yeah who's being positioned in the monster role in this episode mm-hmm. um Bechdel test nope unless you count <laughs> Diana <laughs> talking trying to talk to ghost Claire <laughs> right which I don't know if we can really count I don't because they don't really have a conversation they do not and it's again very connect. The reason that Claire's violent is is, or like yeah. Claire is perceived as violent is because of the fear of the male character. Yeah. And again, we talked a little bit about this already, but the the like not only does not pass the Bechdel test, but it's another example of like violence against women as the core yeah. of a uh, entire episode arc, mm-hmm. which is far too common in this show. Yes. Next, we have lore, our lore check. Um, 
the first note I had was around vengeful, vengeful spirits versus death omens, because I believe it's Sam makes the differentiation of like, yeah. sometimes spirits don't want vengeance, they want justice, and says she wants us to know who her killer is. And so he calls Claire a, a death omen, as opposed to a a spirit specifically, which I was trying to remember, um, I don't know, maybe you'll remember, um, if we've seen or had that kind of death omen term um, before at this point? Not at this point in the show, but they do mention a similar concept later. Okay. Do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, so spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. Um, I don't, I have no idea what season, but there's an episode with the um, ghost facers where um, they have the the spirits that are like replaying the moment of their death. Season three. Three, maybe? Three, I believe it's three. It's either, I think the next ghost facers episode is three. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's not that far off. And it's not, it's not the same thing. It's not a death element, but it's kind of a similar idea of like somebody, like a spirit that's not a ghost. Right. Um, and it's not vengeful. Like, yeah, not vengeful, not do, trying to do anything, just um, responding to their death, basically. Yeah. It's also interesting when you think about that, and this is going to be yet another spoiler, this is going to be a season 15 spoiler, so this one particularly skip if you haven't seen that season you don't want a spoiler um but it makes me think of kevin um in season 15 oh, and yeah. his reoccurrence because he's a very also a similar thing where he's a spirit that's not at rest um but he's not vengeful in any way and which is pretty rare in the show um because there's kind of some of this lore and this is like the lore that's maybe not super consistent but like there's a, a lot of evidence that like if you if a spirit is not at rest for too long eventually they become vengeful even if they don't mean to so there's this whole arc again spoilers this whole arc with bobby where where bobby's really where once bobby once bobby is trapped as a spirit he's really struggling with trying not to become vengeful and and tips over into vengeful and into violent even even though he doesn't want, even though that's not like the kind of person that he is. Um, and so it's always interesting when we see spirits that don't ever, that have potentially been spirits for quite a while and don't cross that line. Yeah. It's not super well worked out. What is the difference? Yeah, no, it's not. But I like, again, I appreciate that with Claire, they went the death omen route as opposed to the vengeful spirit. Route. Like she's not just trying to... Yeah. Like they, the, the, the person that the monster they have to stop in this episode is not Claire. No, she's not even killing her killer. No, she's not even trying to, she's just trying to, she's just trying to alert people that he is killing people still. Yeah. 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 Um, any other specific lore in this episode? I don't think so. Yeah, we've kind of talked about the story continuity around policing a little bit. Um, yeah. There's not really anything else sp- specific to say about that. And there's not really any other lore yeah. other than that. Yeah, now they are both um, a little bit more on the on the police's radar in multiple states. There are no specific filming locations of note in this episode. Um, and in terms of story, this episode takes place in Baltimore, Maryland, Maryland. 
Um, again, nothing of note. That's not a specifically significant location in the past in the show. Um, and I don't believe it really ever is going to be. This is not like necessarily a location we're going to kind of return to. In terms of pop culture. There's quite a bit. Yeah. What did, what, what did you notice? Uh, Scully and Mulder reference. It's my favorite so, one in this episode. X-Files. Yeah. Um, the Hilton McQueen, obviously, The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. The Matlock reference. They both called to the lawyer Matlock, which apparently is an old 80s TV show. Yeah. Um, and then Dean says Casper, the murdering ghost or something like that. Oh, does he? I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the Linda Blair, the actress for Diana was in The Exorcist. And so they mentioned that they referenced The Exorcist at the end of the episode. Yes. It's this, it's a, there's a like, they're all very Easter eggy, the episode, the ones in yeah. here. Well, they're a combination of that. And then also pop culture, they're using, literally using pop culture to communicate because that's how Dean communicates to Sam and he needs to escape yeah. um, by referencing the, the character in The Great Escape, um, which I think is just such a genius um, storytelling thing too, because it we've seen so much pop culture. We've seen their like pop culture savvy and like deep knowledge and memory of it. And it, I love that those are the things they've chosen to use, which also makes sense too, especially for Dean, like considering well, probably Dean was the one that was coming up with a lot of these codes when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are often things that you can be like, yes, those are significant to his personality and his character particularly yes. makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I love that they are using that as a store, as a mechanic of like, that's how they communicate. Um, and I love the, the X-Files reference because this show, you know, obviously they're both dealing with really similar things and they're airing. It's like they, they have some overlap in terms of their timing um they there's a lot of x-files especially in the first two seasons there's a lot of like calls to the x-files like visually and um in terms of some of the filming choices in terms of some of the storytelling that they're doing and I love it almost feels fourth wall breaking a little bit for them to reference it as a you know that in the world of supernatural the x-files exists as a show Mm -hmm. Um, cause they almost feel like they could be happening in a similar universe. Oh, definitely. Um, the other thing I noticed in terms of pop culture, not as a reference, but just as a framing is that the beginning of this episode is kind of set up like an episode from a show like law and order or bones or like a, a more of a police drama, um, murder mysteries, mm. drama, sort of like the way the shots that they choose, um, are not, you know, like usually in Supernatural, they film it like horror. Like they film it like sometimes B-roll horror, but they film it like horror with the kind of angles, the way they hide monsters in shadows. Whereas in this episode, they film it very sterile, very like yeah, um, police procedural. And I think that's such a smart like way of differentiating this, this episode and saying, oh, we're doing something different here. Yeah. Like the main challenge and saying, and even, you know, of hinting before they've told us that the main antagonist of this episode is not actually a supernatural being. Mm -hmm. However intentional it was, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, um, the only other pop culture reference that someone had pointed out on one of the wikis that I was looking at, um, is that there, the lawyer's name, Anthony Giles, might be a uh, reference to the character Rupert Giles on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 
which again is another supernatural um universe cw mm-hmm. show so like um and you know within the supernatural universe we've already had an episode where we had a buffy reference um in the first ghost facers reference first ghost face right. in the first ghost facers episode where one of the characters says you know wwbd what would buffy do so mm-hmm. i like I, I don't know if this is an intentional because obviously Giles is not a super uncommon name, but I, I'm, I'm partial to the idea that it's a reference to Buffy. Yeah, that's fun. Um, lastly, we have Gator, our sexuality and gender connections. Um, the only thing that I kind of noticed in this was actually the Mulder and Scully references ever reference because he said. Dean says, I'm older, you're the redheaded woman, like as an insult. And that, uh, you know, hit me the wrong way. Yeah, that's, that was the exact same and only note I also had, which was that, yeah, Dean continuing to make like female digs at Sam is like old and trite and just kind of generally like gross and very like of like 2005, 2006 television. Totally. Like yeah. they're like, this is how we're gonna show that our man is a macho man by like having him call other men girls as an insult. Like so dumb. So dumb. And not it's dumb, it's not funny, it's yeah. It's just generally like ugh. Um, and it's one of those things the show doesn't get drastically better at. No, it um, doesn't. Like these this this whole like putting people down, putting male characters down by calling them girls is going to continue like throughout the show when far past when they should have known better yeah and we are not impressed no not at all yeah I was like okay come on (laughs) do better let's do better than this (laughs) yeah so next we have our Q&A segment uh so if you would like to submit a question for this segment and you are a listener, uh, please send us a voicemail using the link in the episode description or tag us on TikTok or Twitter. And you can send us a question for a future episode. But today my um, question is actually related to something that Sam does. Um, So Sam cracks Giles's password. And I am really curious because this is not the first time we've seen Sam crack a password of a random victim without a piece of technology like later on in the show we'll see him use some things some like algorithms or like we'll see they have some hacker characters where I'm like okay it makes sense that they would have the technology to like hack a a password um but this is Sam just like walking up to some random person's computer and figuring out their password and I am curious as if you haven't if you haven't any um idea of like how potentially Sam is doing this because I don't I'm just struggling to like the realism of it, honestly. Like I know Sam's That's smart, so but like, funny. where is he? Where is he getting this? Where? What is his strategy for cracking a password of a random person that he knows nothing about? I honestly never noticed that. Like I always thought that he was using some sort of coding and just breaking the, like, just hacking into it that way. But I think it's, I think in this episode, and I know in other episodes, we've seen, sometimes we see the screen and we just see him typing things into their passcode thing. I think, yeah, you're totally right. I just never registered that. And I, so I don't, if you don't have an answer to that, that's fine. But I, I just think it's a really, I just, I just am a little flabbergasted by it. And yeah, because 
without any sort of technology help, guessing does not get like guessing does not get you into passwords. Sometimes they have information, so they like know the victims like partner's name or like a pet's name and they try it and it happens to work and it's still a little unrealistic but I'll give it to them when they don't know anything about the victim and they just are like I've got it after 10 minutes I'm like maybe he's supposed to be some sort of supercomputer that can just like in his head he can like figure out all the different possible combinations (laughs) and like what's likely (laughs) or maybe it's his psychic abilities maybe Sam is just yeah yeah maybe Sam just like thinks he's really smart thinks he just can like figure it out but it's yeah. actually just that he's a little bit psychic and he just like puts his hand on the computer t- on the on the keyboard and is like I know what it is yeah I've sensed it that's a better explanation let's go with that one if anyone who's listening has a a, a more interesting or more um <laughs> researched uh interpretation of this question and answer for us uh please um send us a voicemail or tag us and i would love to include an update to this question in a future episode because this is this is one we don't have a good answer for no we do not (laughs) so our last segment today is going to be our theme song so we are creating an episode mixtape for every episode this season and we are each going to choose a song that made us think of this episode in some way and we're going to be compiling it into one grand season two mixtape do you have a song chosen Renny? this one kind of works okay i think i'll use it dead to rights by radio company oh okay because the chorus you had me dead to rights holding down my chain you had me dead to rights. I got out again. Never been the same. Oh, yeah. I like that. So that kind of works. Yeah, that definitely, definitely works. Um, so again, this was a harder episode to pick a song for for me as well. But I'm going to go with a song called Roll with the Punches by Colony House, um, particularly for the, the lyrics um, uh, in the chorus, which go roll with the punches, fight through the fire. When the trouble comes, baby, we can work our way around it. Mm. Yeah, um, because I see that in this they're you know um rolling with kind of the circumstances they're in and finding a way around it mm-hmm. so that brings us to the end of our show um you can subscribe to driver picks the podcast wherever you get your shows and come talk to us on social media or submit a question for a future episode through the link in the show notes Thank you so much, Renny, for being here again today. Thanks for having me. It's always, always so fun. I appreciate your, all of your insights into this episode. Thanks, you too. Thank you to all of our listeners for coming along for the ride, and we wish you a peaceful road until we meet again. Next week, we'll be discussing season two, episode eight, Crossroad Blues, through the theme of commitment. And for that episode, we will be joined by a very special guest, Jay, who is known on TikTok as JSTL. Um, I'm so excited for this episode. It's going to be a fantastic one. So join us next week. A note to our listeners, this episode was recorded prior to our season three name change, where we went from Driver Picks the Podcast to Saving People, Queering Things. For all of our new social media platforms, visit queeringthingspodcast.com.